chapter twenty two of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain who knows why love begins the time was drawing near the corn was cut and carried on many a broad sweep of hot chalky soil and summer's branding sun had burnt up the thin grass on the wide bare down where never shadow of tree or bush made a cool spot in the expanse of light and heat and dryness the mysterious immemorial stones yonder on salisbury plain stood up against a background of cloudless blue and every window of the cathedral in the valley winked and flashed in the sunshine only in the sober old close and the venerable gardens of a bygone generation within hedges that dead hands had planted trees whose growth dead eyes had watched was their coolness or shelter or the gentle slumbrous feeling of summer afternoon in its restful perfection here in an antique drawing-room mrs mornington and her niece were taking tea after a morning with tailor and dressmaker there never was such a girl for not caringness as this girl of mine said mrs mornington with a vexed air if it had not been for me i don't think she would have had a new frock in her trousseau and as she is a very prim personage about lingerie and has a large stock of parisian prettiness in that line there would really have been nothing to buy rather a relief i should think laughed mrs cannon who was giving them tea a most delightful state of things asserted mrs subdean proud mother of half a dozen daughters in which opinion agreed a county lady also rich in daughters ah you are all against me said mrs mornington but there is a great pleasure in buying things especially when one is spending somebody else's money poor papa sighed suzette my aunt forgets that he is not croesus look at that girl's wretched pale face cried mrs mornington would any one think that she was going to be married to a most estimable young man and the best match in the neighbourhood except one at those two last words suzette's cheeks flamed crimson and the feminine conclave looking at her felt she was being cruelly used by this strong-minded aunt of hers i don't think the nicest girls are ever very keen about their trousseau said the county lady with a furtive glance at a buxom freckled daughter who had lately become engaged and who had already begun to discuss house linen and frocks with a largeness of ideas that alarmed her parents yes but there is a difference between caring too much and not caring at all suzette would be married in that white gingham she is wearing to-day if i would let her pray don't tease people about my frocks auntie if you can't find something more interesting to talk about we had better go away said suzette with a pettishness which was quite unlike her but it must be owned that to be made the object of a public attack in feminine convocation was somewhat exasperating mrs mornington was not to be put down she went on talking of frocks though one of the daughters of the house carried suzette off to the garden an act of real christian charity if she had not spoiled her good work by beginning to talk of suzette's lover i can quite fancy your aunt must be rather boring sometimes she said but do tell me about mr carew 
i thought him so nice the other day at the flower show when you introduced him to me what can i tell you about him you have seen him and i am glad you thought him nice yes but one wants to know more one wants to know what he is like from your point of view but how could you see him from my point of view that's impossible true a casual acquaintance could never see him as he appears to you to whom he is all the world said the canon's daughter who was young and romantic having lived upon church music and coventry patmore's poetry there's my aunt showing them patterns of my frocks exclaimed suzette irritably glancing in at the drawing-room where mrs mornington sat the centre of a little group handing scraps of stuff out of her reticule the scraps were being passed round and peered at and pulled about by everybody with a meditative and admiring air an african savage seeing the group would have supposed that some act of sordilage was being performed it is rather an ordeal being married said the canon's daughter thinking sadly of a certain undergraduate who was downhearted about his divinity exam and upon whose achieving deacon's orders within a reasonable time depended the young lady's matrimonial prospects she sighed as she thought of the difference in worldly wealth between that well-meaning youth and alan carew and yet here was the future mrs carew pale and worried and obviously discontented with her lot when those gowns had been ordered suzette felt as if it were another link forged in the iron chain which seemed to weigh heavier upon her every day of her life she had promised and she must keep her promise that was what she was continually saying to herself those words were woven into all her thoughts alan was so good so true-hearted could she disappoint and grieve him could she be heartless unkind selfish think of herself first and of him after snatch at the happiness fate offered to her and leave him out in the cold no better that she should bear her lot become his wife live out her slow melancholy days his faithful servant and friend honouring him and obeying him doing all that woman can do for man except loving him those meteoric appearances of jeffreys had made life much harder for suzette she might have fought against her love for him more successfully perhaps had he been always near had she seen him almost daily and become accustomed to his presence as a common incident in the daily routine but to be told that he was in the far north of scotland yachting with a friend and then to be startled by his voice at her shoulder murmuring her name in discombe wood and to turn round with nervous quickness to see him looking at her with his pale smile like a ghost or to be assured that he was salmon fishing in connemara and to see him suddenly sauntering across the lawn in the july desk more ghost-like even than in the woods as if face and form were a mere materialization which her own sad thoughts had conjured out of the twilight he would take very little trouble to explain his unlooked-for return scotland was too hot the north sea was like a vast sheet of red-hot iron blown over by a south wind that was like the breath of a blast furnace ireland was a place of bad inns and inexorable rain and there were no fish or none that he could catch he had come home because life was weariness away from home he feared that life meant weariness everywhere the days were hurrying by and now mrs mornington talked everlastingly of the wedding or so it seemed to suzette 
who in these latter days tried to avoid her aunt as much as was consistent with civility and fled from the grove to discombe as to a haven of peace mrs mornington loved to expatiate upon the coming event to bewail her niece's indifferentism to regret that there was to be no festivity worth speaking of and to enlarge upon the advantages of allan's position and surroundings and suzette's good fortune in having come to matcham your father might have spent a thousand pounds on a london season and not have done half so well for you she said conclusively the general nodded assent certainly between them they had done wonderfully well for suzette from this worldly wisdom the harassed girl fled to the quiet of discombe where the peaceful silence was only broken by the deep broad stream of sound from the organ touched with ever-growing power by mrs warnock suzette would steal softly into the music-room unannounced and take her accustomed seat in the recess by the organ and sit silently listening as long as mrs warnock cared to play only when the last chord had died away did the two women touch hands and look at each other it was about a week after that wearying day in salisbury when suzette seated herself by the player in this silent way and sat listening to a funeral march by beethoven with her head leaning on her hand and not so much as a murmur of praise for music or performer stirring the thoughtful quiet of her lips when the last melancholy notes low down in the bass had melted into silence mrs warnock looked up and saw suzette's face bathed in tears tears that streamed over the pallid cheeks unchecked jeffrey's mother started up from the organ and clasped the weeping girl to her breast poor child poor child he was right then you are not happy happy i am miserable i don't know what to do i don't know what would be worst or wickedest to disappoint him or to marry him not loving him no 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 you must not marry not if you cannot love him but are you sure of that susy are you sure you don't love him he is so good so worthy to be loved as his father was years ago why should you not love him ah who can tell sighed suzette who knows why love begins or how love gets the mastery i let myself be talked into thinking i loved him i always liked him liked his company was grateful for his attentions respected him for his fine nature and then i let him persuade me that this was love but it wasn't it never was love friendship and liking are not love and now that the fatal day draws near i know how wide a difference there is between love and liking you must not marry him suzette you know i would not willingly say one word that would tell against alan carew's happiness i love him almost as dearly as i love my own son but when i see you miserable when i see geoffrey utterly wretched i can no longer keep silence this marriage must be broken off he will hate me he will despise me what can he think of me false fickle unworthy of a good man's love you must tell him the truth it will be cruel but not so cruel as to let him go on believing in you thinking himself happy living in a fool's paradise will you let me speak for you suzette let me do what your mother might have done had she been here to help you in your need suzette was speechless with tears her face hidden on mrs warnock's shoulder the door was opened at this moment and a servant announced mr carew allan had approached the group by the organ before either mrs warnock or suzette could hide her agitation their tears the way in which they clung to each other told of some overmastering grief 
good god what is the matter what has happened he exclaimed nothing has happened alan yet there is sorrow for all of us sorrow that has been coming upon us though some of us did not know it suzette may i tell him now this moment may you tell me tell me what questioned alan suzette speak to me you you no one else fear indignation despair were in his tone he caught hold of suzette's arm and drew her towards him looking searchingly at the pale tear-stained face but she shrank from his grasp and sank on her knees at his feet it is my miserable secret that must be told at last i have tried i have hoped i honour i respect you ellen but our hearts are not our own we cannot guide or govern their impulses my heart is weighed down with shame and misery but it is empty of love i cannot love you as your wife should if i keep my word i shall be a miserable woman you shall not be that he said sternly not to make me the happiest man in creation but don't you think with chilling deliberation this tragedy might have been acted a little earlier it seems to me that you have kept your secret over carefully i have been weak alan hopelessly miserably weak-minded i tried to do what was best i did not want to disappoint you disappoint me why you have fooled me from the first disappoint me why i have built the whole fabric of my future life upon this rotten foundation i was to be happy because of your love my days and years were to flow sweetly by in a paradise of domestic peace blessed by your love and all the time there was no such thing you did not love me you had never loved me you were only trying to love me and the hopelessness of the endeavour is brought home to you to-day three weeks before our wedding-day suzette suzette never was woman's cruelty crueller than this of yours she was in floods of tears at his feet her head drooping till her face almost touched the ground he left her kneeling there and rushed away to the garden to hide his own tears the tears of which his manhood was ashamed the passionate sobs the wild hysterical weeping of the sex that seldom weeps he found a shelter and a hiding-place in an angle of the garden where there was a sidewalk shut in by close-cropped cypress walls and here mrs warnock found him presently sitting on a marble bench with his elbows on his knees his face hidden in his hands she seated herself at his side and laid her hand gently on his alan dear alan i am so sorry for you she said softly i am very sorry for myself i don't seem to need anybody's pity i think i can do all the grieving ah that is the worst of it nobody's sympathy can help you not yours he answered almost savagely for at heart you must be glad my dismissal makes room for someone else someone whose interests are dearer to you than mine could ever be there is no one nearer or dearer to me than you alan no one not even my own son you have been to me as a son the son of the man i fondly loved whose face i was to look upon only once once after those long years in which we were parted i have loved you as a part of my youth the living memory of my lost love ah my dear i had to learn the lesson of self-surrender when i was younger than you i loved him with all my heart and mind and i gave him up you did wrong to give him up he himself said so but there is no parallel between the two cases this girl has let me believe in her 
i have lived for a year in this sweet delusion a bliss no more real than the happiness of a dream she would have loved me she would have married me all would have been well for us but for your son when he came my chance was blighted he has charms of mind and manner which i have not like me they say but ten times handsomer he can speak to her with a language that i have not oh those singing notes on the violin that long-drawn lingering sweep of the bow like the cry of a spirit in paradise an angelic voice telling of love ethereal love released from clay those tears which seemed to tremble on the strings that loud sudden sob of passionate pain which came like a short sharp amen to the prayer of love i could understand that language better than he thought he stole her love from me set himself deliberately to rob me of my life's happiness it is cruel to say that alan he is incapable of treachery of deliberate wrongdoing he is a creature of impulse meaning a creature with whom self is the only god and in one of his impulses he told suzette of his love even in plainer words than his stradivarius could tell the story and from that hour her heart was false to me i saw the change in her when i came back after my father's death you are unjust to him alan in your grief and anger whatever his feelings may have been he has fought against them he has made himself almost an exile from this house he has been biding his time no doubt and now that i have had the coup de grace he will come back End of chapter twenty two